My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. We're part of the G7, Canada is, right? How can we be one of the most affluent countries in the world and still have people living like this? It just disgusts me. And the housing market has been rising and rising, but the minimum wage has not. So in this city, if you make minimum wage, you cannot find a place to live. That's the voice of Vicky Levac. She's today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Levac is a human rights advocate based in Halifax, whose work over the years has focused on disability and on gender, with a particular interest in housing issues. In this episode, she's speaking as a member of the PADS Community Network, a new grassroots formation in Halifax fighting, as their acronym summarizes, for permanent, accessible, dignified, and safer housing for all. The basic features of Canada's ongoing housing and homelessness crisis have been pretty much the same since the mayors of the country's ten largest cities declared homelessness a national disaster back in 1998. Wages at the lower end of the labor market and social assistance payments are way too low, Private market rental housing is mostly not affordable and is often terrible quality when it is. And there isn't nearly enough rent geared to income social housing to meet the need, and governments haven't put serious money into building more in decades. There are also all kinds of questions around accessibility and supports that, again, Canada's neoliberal governments give a fraction of the required resources. And far too often when pushed to do something, said governments treat the problem as purely about a lack of supply in the private rental market, with no recognition that whatever measures they take to incentivize the construction of new for-profit rental housing, incomes will still be too low, rents will still be too high, and lots of people will still be homeless. In Nova Scotia, social assistance and disability rates for a single person are $620 a month and $855 a month, respectively. Yet the average rent in Halifax for a bachelor apartment is $865, and for a one-bedroom, it's over a thousand. If you consider apartments that are actually on the market and available to be rented, the numbers are even higher, with a one-bedroom averaging more than $1,500. About a quarter of tenant households in the city live in housing that they can't really afford. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, despite certain kinds of emergency supports from governments, plenty of people are worse off than they were. And in Halifax, rents have gone up significantly at the same time, by as much as 20% for a one-bedroom unit between January 2020 and January 2021. In terms of emergency shelter systems, before the pandemic, many people who used them already had a lot of concerns about them being full, unpleasant, and unsafe. That, too, has worsened with COVID. In many cities, including Halifax, a subset of people without a permanent place to live have decided that it is safer to avoid the shelter system entirely and to instead set up their own encampments in parks and on other public land. And, as in many other cities, in Halifax, these efforts by homeless people to keep themselves safe have been vigorously opposed by some business owners, politicians, and middle-class residents. This came to a head on August 18th, when Halifax Regional Police evicted people from encampments and parks and confiscated their tents and other shelters. 
Police tried to restrict journalists in covering the actions, used pepper spray on protesters, including on a ten-year-old child, and made numerous arrests. Many encampment residents reported they were not offered any, let alone suitable, alternative housing. The PADS community network formed pretty much as a direct response to the events of August 18th. Because so many people who had been evicted from parks had nowhere else to go, many ended up resettling in other parks. The primary work of PADS is supporting encampments. They help obtain supplies, and activists stay on site to, at the very least, witness and perhaps prevent future police attempts to harass or evict encampment residents. Being so new, they're also hard at work establishing themselves as an organization, and the community network is fully aware that encampments are an emergency measure only, and they've been active in putting pressure on governments to both make improvements to the local emergency shelter system and to find real solutions, to do what needs to be done to make sure that everyone who is currently homeless in Halifax gets permanent, accessible, dignified, safer housing. Levac talks with me about housing and homelessness in Halifax, about encampments, and about the PADS community network. My name is Victoria Levac. I am a human rights advocate who focuses on disability and gender with a special focus on housing. And the PADS Community Network stands for Permanent, Accessible, Dignified, Safer Housing Community Network. Right now, there's a housing crisis that's been for years, but it's really bad now. So we formed this group after August 18th. When the Halifax police went in and destroyed all the shelters that Halifax Mutual Aid had built for the homeless. And we basically took over a park and said, we're going to make it safe for you to be here until we can find you appropriate housing. I started work like this when I was 14, when I worked with a group of women who wrote and produced their own monologue-style shows and raised money for different women's issues. So that's when I first became aware of feminism and, like, knew the name and knew what it stood for and all that stuff. And then I did some advocating for myself when I was a child for disability rights just for me. And then as I got older, I realized, wait, this isn't just a me issue. It's, like, all over the damn world. So I started using my advocacy, not just for me, but for other people. I started thinking about it as a career when I was about 24, and I haven't stopped since, and I'm 30 now. I am the spokesperson for the Disability Rights Coalition of Nova Scotia. I was the chair of the Nova Scotia League for Equal Opportunities last year. I did a lot of work. In the community, when I was a teenager, did lots of leadership-style training courses. I write a blog every once in a while. It's not as consistent as what I would like, because like I said, I'm very busy. But that's to focus on disability issues, but really from a first-person perspective, so that people know the challenges we face from a more human standpoint. I have meetings with the Premier and the Minister of Health. Minister for Community Services to voice my concerns. I've done that for years. I do lots of interviews about different accessibility issues that come up in the city. And yeah, I am a voracious reader when I have the time. I'm also a giant nerd, so I like all that superhero stuff. You mentioned that within your overarching focus on feminist and disability-related activism, you have a particular interest in housing. 
Prior to the PADS community network, what did that involve? I lived in a nursing home because the government said that's the only place I can get the services I require. So I do live in a senior's home. It's not appropriate. After a 10-year battle with the government, I have finally been allowed a place in a pilot program that gets people out of nursing homes and into the community. So I move out of this hellhole in December. So I can't wait for that. I'm moving to a condo and I'll finally have a life that is not medicalized. But thousands of Nova Scotians across the province are in the exact same boat I am. So now that I'm out, it's time to get everyone else out. Set the context of how the long-term housing crisis in Canada has been playing out in Halifax, particularly in the pre-pandemic era. I didn't know how bad it was till what happened on the 18th of August happened. I mean, I knew it was an issue of shelter beds. I knew that the housing market, the prices for rent were astronomical. Yeah, I knew how bad it was, but I didn't realize how bad until that day, August 18th. I didn't realize people were sleeping in parks. I thought they had rooms over their heads. Shelters at night, and they went out during the day to like panhandle or whatever it is they do for money. I said all the shelter beds were full, and these people had nowhere to go. And then they pulled that crap on August 18th. I said, I have to do something. And I understand that, you know, things were bad before the pandemic in terms of housing and homelessness, but pretty much everywhere, things have gotten worse during the pandemic. How did that play out in Halifax? Well, obviously, it's astronomical now. It's getting worse and worse. I mean, I look around me and I think we're part of the G7, Canada is, right? How can we be one of the most affluent countries in the world and still have people living like this? It just disgusts me. And the housing market has been rising and rising, but the minimum wage has not. So in this city, if you make minimum wage, you cannot find a place to live. Because the living wage and the minimum wage are not the same thing. So until the minimum wage is increased and the housing costs have dropped, it's only going to get worse. They're lifting the rent cap very soon, and it's going to make things astronomical. Uh, Again, interrupting to give a little more context. From 1993 until November 2020, Nova Scotia had no rent control. In 2020, the provincial government at the time responded to the intensifying housing and homelessness crisis during the pandemic by bringing in emergency rent control measures for one year. As of when this interview happened, it looked like the conservative government of Premier Tim Houston was set to let that expire. Since then, though, he announced that it would be extended by two years, a victory for grassroots campaigns in the province. Now, Premier Houston, for everything he's saying, he believes it's just a supply issue. It's not. We have lots of supply, but the prices, I don't know who he thinks can afford them. I don't know. I know not one person who can afford the rents of the new buildings. And you mentioned the group Halifax Mutual Aid. I know you weren't part of that group, but say what you can about the work that they were doing with encampments prior to the police action on August 18th. Well, from what I understand, they were building these shed-like structures that were insulated randomly around the city for people who had nowhere else to go because there were no shelter beds or they didn't feel safe in the shelters. But I thought, that's great. What a great organization. And holy crap, how wonderful. 
And then the city came in on the 18th and tore them all down. And I was like, but these people had nowhere to go. And these shelters weren't hurting anybody. But apparently people in the city complained they were unsightly. And I'm like, so is homelessness. Get over yourself. I'm ashamed that I live here. So what went down on August 18th? Okay, well, I wasn't there. I just saw it on the news. But I have spoken to people who were there. And one man said, you know, you can't do this. Like, there's nowhere for these people to go. Live in love. And the cop told him to f*** off. And then there was a guy on a bike who was an officer who was running over protesters. They pepper sprayed a 10-year-old, which everyone knows about. I saw a video of it the other day, more video came out, and there was this giant wall of people, and the cop just shoved them all on the road and started hitting them. At that particular incident, many of the officers acted like bullies and thugs, and not like protectors. They're supposed to protect and serve. Well, I think the only people they're protecting now, and they made that very clear with their actions on the 18th, the only people they are protecting is the wealthy. They're not there to protect the little guy. And what was the outcome of the police doing all of this? Were the tents and the tiny shelters that Halifax Mutual Aid had built gone after that point? Yeah, they were just torn down. There's two at the park I work at right now, and we are protecting those, but the city keeps saying they have to go, they have to go, and we're explaining, well, where do you want these people to go? They said to the shelters, this is the emergency manager or something, told us this, I'm not sure her exact title but she is the one responsible for clearing up the housing crisis, I guess. Even though she has no training on that whatsoever, she is a military officer used to working with natural disasters, which this is not that. She has no social services training that any of us are aware of, and she's been very clear about her dislike of us. She asked one of our volunteers, I heard the story from the volunteer after the fact, She said, are you putting up empty tents to make us look bad? Because there were more tents than there were. She was there and she said, I told you not to put up any more tents. You're putting up tents to make us look bad. And she was like, no, more people showed up and they have nowhere to go. And we're not turning them away because that would be evil. Rather than work with us, she is just telling us we have to leave. But we can't leave until there's somewhere for these people to go. That is safe and appropriate. So when people say that, you know, why don't people just go into the emergency shelter system? What's your response to that? Well, the first thing I say to them is you first. And then I explain that those places are not safe. I've had residents tell stories about the shelter system. One man was raped. The other man who told me his story said that a person was murdered five feet away from him. So obviously they don't feel safe being there. Lots of drug use in shelters. And if people are trying to get clean, it's obviously very difficult. So they can't go to the shelters if they want to stay clean. So they come outside of the shelter system. And if somebody thinks it's so great, they can go there first. And in a lot of places, an additional concern during the pandemic is COVID safety in shelters. Is that something people in Halifax are concerned about? Yes, of course. Because they're packing them in like sardines. So of course they're concerned. Another response that you sometimes hear from officials and residents who oppose encampments is, well, the encampments themselves are unsafe in various ways. How do you respond to that? 
everything is unsafe. Nothing is ever 100% safe. So if this is where the people I work with and our residents are telling me, I feel safest, I'm not going to ask them to leave where they feel safe. I'm just not going to do that because they've been told that their entire lives. What's your understanding of where encampment residents went after what the police did on the 18th? They went to Meagor Park, which is where I work now. As far as I'm aware, that encampment that I currently work at started on August 18th when everybody was picked off the property that the shelters were on, which was across from the old library here in Halifax. How did the PADS community network emerge from the events of August 18th? I'm actually not sure of that. You'll have to talk to one of our other people who were doing it before I got there. Because what happened was I went down one day just to get a list of supplies that I was going to pick up for them. And they said, we need volunteers. I thought they meant like physical labor stuff. And I was like, well, obviously I can't help with that. And they're like, no, we just need someone to sit here and protect these people. And I'm like, well, I can do that and just be a presence. And if I may be so bold, I think my standing as a white woman in a wheelchair and young, I think that makes police stop and think before they commit violence. And if it doesn't, I will be there to record it. And I do have a little bit of a following on the internet now. I'm just there to stop it if I can and to witness it and document it if I can't. I adore going to the pub. I enjoy going to work every day because I love our residents. Our residents have become like a found family. We've created our own community. Our residents are very supportive and loving. I mean, sometimes they can be violent towards each other, but they have never been violent towards me as a quote-unquote staff slash volunteer. And I just feel this overwhelming urge to protect. And every time I see a cop car, I get really nervous. It's like I'm preparing for battle. My body gets all tense. My breathing escalates. Like, I go into fight or flight mode if I so much as see a cop car. Because I don't know which ones are safe till they do the unsafe things. And by then it's too late. I've heard from other cities that it's not only necessary to be wary of cops, but that there's also active hostility from some residents in neighborhoods surrounding encampments in some instances. Is that something you've run into? Yes, we have a neighbor across the street who told a reporter very candidly and very proudly that she calls the cops on us every day for no reason because she just wants us out. So yes, that occurs. And I'm sure more than one person does it. And describe for listeners a bit more about the physical setup of the encampment, the number of residents. Because, of course, people who are unhoused are nomadic. The numbers fluctuate. There aren't that many during the day because they go to work, whether that be an actual paid job or, you know, collecting cans to make some money and other things like panhandling and things like that. So there isn't a lot during the day, but we have a lot of residents at night. Our current number is 25 residents at the last count. And everybody's pretty chill. How does the PADS community network work as an organization? So far, we are a ragtag group of individuals trying to get our stuff together. But because housing is a provincial mandate, our plan is to lobby the provincial government to put more resources both manpower and financial, behind this housing crisis. Because right now, like I said, Tim Houston seems to think 
that it's only a supply issue, and it's not. So a thing that would, I think, personally help the housing crisis is more money into addiction services, more money into domestic violence services, more money in mental health, which he says he's going to do. I am happy about that. And he has to realize that it's not just a supply issue. Like, I'd like to see him live on minimum wage and afford rent. Maybe if he had a week of living like that, he'd understand that it's not just a supply issue. So when you say that the Premier's understanding of the housing and homelessness crisis is that it's just a supply issue, what does that lead him to propose to solve it that you think is inadequate? Well, his solution is just build more houses. But don't worry about if they're affordable. And what does affordable mean anyway? Like, affordable is relative depending on how much money you make. So someone on minimum wage can't afford the same thing as somebody making 100k a year can. So that's why we said accessible instead of affordable in our name. Because affordable was just too wishy-washy. Because he's been saying there is affordable housing. And our question is, affordable to who? Because no one I know can make that money and still have money for, like, you know, food and gas and things like that. Beyond being present in the park in a supportive way, what other things has the network been doing since it was founded in August? Well, like I said, we are fairly new because it just started in August. But we're working on our governance policies. And our main goal, like I said, is to lobby the provincial government, mostly, to put their money where their mouths are. Tim Houston wants to be a solutions guy. Well, then come talk to us about the solutions. We have ideas. They may not work, but at least we have ideas. We just want to sit at the table. That's all. What other groups have you been working with who have been supportive of the work that you're doing? The Elizabeth Fry Society, who works with incarcerated women, as well as women who are homeless, have been very supportive of us. We call them all the time to see if we can get a placement for our female and trans or non-binary residents. They do not take men, which makes sense given the amount of trauma that a lot of women experience at the hands of men. So they've been very supportive. I know out of the cold, we've been very communicative with them. Phoenix House, we call them all the time if we have someone under age show up at the park. I think all the organizations that are working on this homelessness issue think that what we're doing is a good thing, but obviously it's not sustainable. We're just trying to keep our heads above water here, because right now there is no other option. What are the key demands you would make of the provincial government, the federal government, and the city government? We obviously think that what needs to happen first is a moratorium on park eviction so that our residents and other residents who reside in parks feel safe. Because if you're feeling safe, it's much easier to focus on, okay, what do I need to do to get out of here? But if you're constantly worried about where did the cops show up, you obviously can't focus on other things. More money invested into addiction and mental health services, like I said. More staff for shelters, because right now the shelters are severely understaffed, which is why there is a lot of violence there, we believe. You say you care about Nova Scotians. Well, they're Nova Scotians too, so how about we help them? What does the network have planned coming up, both in an immediate sense and over the longer term? 
I suggested, I don't know if we're going to do it or not, that we have a sit down with the Premier and the Minister of Community Services. And, you know, if there is a homelessness advocate group to talk to, because I do believe the city is developing or has already developed a lived experience homelessness group. So I very much like to talk to those people as well, because they're the ones living it. So they'll know how best to help them. They need help and support. They need people to care. We are a group of people who care very much and will fight to make sure that every Nova Scotian, regardless of race, age, sexuality, ability, mental health condition, regardless, if you are a human, we will fight for your right to be housed. Because in 2019, the Trudeau government said that housing was a human right. So my question is, where? where's the housing? It's been two years. Where's the housing? So we will push their promises. So for listeners, meaning not necessarily just in Halifax, who want to do something about the housing and homelessness crisis in this country, what kinds of actions would you suggest they take? There are several things you could do. The first thing I would do that I think would be the most effective, because it is the government that's screwing up here, is calling your MLA or your MP or your city official and saying, shame on you for you can do something. Because again, they don't think the middle class and the upper class care about the homeless. So if we show them that they do, they'll go, oh crap, people with money who vote actually give a crap about this. So we better do something or we're going to lose votes. Because to be quite honest, I feel, at least in some cases, that's all they care about is votes. They don't actually care about the issue. So putting pressure on your government is good. Safe, peaceful protest? Go do that. Or if you know someone who's homeless and you know where they stay, bring them some food. Ask them what they need. Bring them supplies. Ask them if there's anything you can do to help. If there's anybody you can call for them. Because quite often they don't have phones. Just offer to help. That's all you gotta do. You know, go make sandwiches and pass them out to homeless people. Like, that's easy to do. I do have a message for Mr. Houston and Mr. Savage, though, if I may. Uh, And for listeners, that's the Premier of Nova Scotia and the Mayor of Halifax. And yeah, for sure, go for it. Mr. Houston, Mr. Savage, you've been debating for weeks now who's going to pay for what. This is not just a money issue. Stop bickering about the money and just figure it out. Worry about getting the housing first. Worry about how you split up the bill later. Because people are suffering now. People need help now. Stop making it about money and just do the work, please, so that your citizens can be safe. You have been listening to my interview with Vicki Levac of the PADS Community Network. To learn more about the organization, search for PADS Community Network on Instagram or Twitter. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.